Before we get started on this podcast about reinvention, I want to offer you a very special moment in the life of Covey Club. I'm Leslie Jane Seymour, and I'm the founder of Covey Club and the founder of this podcast. And believe it or not, shocking to me, we have hit five years, and it's our fifth year birthday, and we are running such an incredible special for subscriptions. I would love you to come over and join the Covey Club, which is HR Central for learning about reinvention. This is where you will meet incredible women at the Covey Club who will hold a space for you while you figure out what's next. We instruct twice a week. We have all kinds of masterminds. Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> We have all kinds of masterminds and courses that will get you to the next level and get you to where you're going. I hope that you will come take advantage of this very special moment where we are selling our subscriptions for 30% off. You won't see that again. It ends March 1st at 11.59 p.m. Pacific time. And that's it. We would love to have you come meet the amazing women of Covey Club. This is a crazy moment where we are just giving the Covey Club away. And now on to our podcast. Hello, all you reinventors out there. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I'm the founder of Covey Club and also this podcast. And I'm really excited because I have one of my great friends who I met when I was back as a beauty editor trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And she has just done so many things and twists and turns in her career. And just fearless was what I love about Janet Gerwich. I would say, She's like my fearless person out there who just, she just plows forward and keeps going. And we really, I guess we really originally first met when she was the founder of Laura Mercier Cosmetics. And I was running the beauty, I was a beauty director at Glamour Magazine. And those cosmetics were so amazing. They were, they were, it was the beginning of the um, makeup artist cosmetic idea. I did not know that Janet had gone in search of finding somebody to work with. So you're going to learn all about that. She actually, I thought maybe they had worked together and then they spun off together, but that's not the case. And then she went from there. Um, she invested her own money in Laura Mercier, which I did not know either. And she went from there into becoming um, private equity. And now she's um, with Advent International, and they're going to be going, she said it's her first IPO. I mean, she's just a big heavy hitter. And we've got lots of advice for you in there. If you want to take a beauty brand, or you want to take a fashion brand, or your background about how to get going and how to move over, and how never to stay stuck. And you'll listen to all her great information about believing in yourself, because there's so many naysayers out there, man, they're there. And um, you just can't listen to them. I know that sounds easy. It's not, but uh, it's definitely doable. So here is my good friend, Janet Gerwich. 
So welcome, Janet. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. This is so much fun, an old friend and somebody who I've admired so much for so long. Thank you, Leslie. I am so excited to be with you today, and I'm so impressed with what you're doing with Covey Club. Yeah, well, we're getting there. We're moving along, and we're, we're reinventing just the way you have. So what we really want to talk about here is how you started out in fashion at uh, Neiman Marcus and how you then moved yourself into beauty and then into uh, private equity. So just quickly, so people understand where you grew up and how you even got into the fashion business and how, why you ended up at Neiman Marcus. Can you give us a little background on there? Yes, uh, I, I, I grew up in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. My father had a chain of retail stores, shoe, shoe stores. And so that's, I loved the business. I went to the University of Alabama and I did major in retail. Um, I then went from there to actually Foley's department store in Houston where I stayed for 15 years and then was fortunate to be the executive vice president of Neiman Marcus uh, for almost four years. And then when you left Neiman Marcus, you went into the cosmetics area. How did that transition so that's happen? My change. You know, it's, it's so interesting, Leslie. I never thought about being an entrepreneur. I thought the corporate world would be my world. And I didn't think I could be an entrepreneur because I thought you had to create Uber or Apple. Um, I didn't think you could create a better shoe and call it Manola Blahnik or create a great makeup brand around a really savvy, talented makeup artist named Laura Mercier. So I think I wasn't open to that I could start something. And um, I met Bobby Brown when I was at Neiman Marcus. And really, it's the first time I started thinking. And what I encourage people to do is be aware of what's around you. And I, it was so unusual at that time for a small beauty brand to be at Neiman Marcus. And so I, I was so excited to see maybe there was an inflection point at that time. And I truly took many pages out of Bobby's book, which she, she knows and decided at the age of 42 to leave Neiman Marcus and start my own company, Laura Mercier. And how did you find Laura? Were you, were you, did you know each other or how did that happen? Good question. I did not know her. And this is another point I want to make is networking is so important when you're recreating. Um, and, and, and so I knew the beauty editors because it was a different time where beauty editors, as you know, were very important. And I, I asked the beauty editors at Vogue, Harper's, and Allure to help me, who were the world's top makeup artists? And they each sent me a list and how to reach them. They were all men with the exception of two. And I wanted a woman and I chose Laura Mercier. And what did she say when you went to her? Was this just when Bobby was getting started? So you thought, okay, there's a pathway here. And how did you, how did you sort of, that's a pretty big leap. I mean, did you it, stock it, away enough money that you could survive if this didn't work out? So all good questions. Uh, one, I, I did get married and that did help. He could pay for my room and board. So that was good in a, in a nice way. But no, I did. I took my own money. Um, at that time, it was like a million three, all the money I had in the world. And I put it into this and I got a partner who I had met at, while I was at Neiman's. He had nothing to do with Neiman's, an entrepreneur. 
and he and I started it uh, with about 3.5 million. Um, but if I say, I give a speech about this and I say, I gave up my first class lifestyle because you can imagine at Neiman's in those days, it was pretty amazing. Um, and I gave up my first class lifestyle for a middle seat in coach. Ha, I understand that one. <laughs> I understand that. $35 to move to the aisle. Nope, can't afford it. I <laughs> yeah, that's, exactly. But that's interesting. So you... You actually did not raise money. You just went out there and used your cash. You felt that strongly that you knew this was it. You were gay. You put all your money on the gambling table. I took my risk. It was a different time. Leslie, there wasn't money available today. That's a great change. Uh -huh. okay. there, there, there was no venture capital money looking for a cosmetics company based in Houston, Texas. I mean, it just didn't exist. So it was a different time. And yes, we did put in our own money. Uh, I recommend if people can do friends and family, that's really good. I, I didn't. I just did my own with my partner, Gary. But um, we ran out of money quickly. We were already cooking. We were selling. We were doing well at Neiman's and at Henry Bindles at the time. And then I realized I really had something. But if I couldn't uh, capitalize it, I wouldn't make it. And so my partners, the family that owned Neiman Marcus, um, who, who had been my bosses, I went to them and said, can you get me to Wall Street? And they said, can we invest in you? So I had a very odd coupling there. Neiman Marcus was my partner owning 50. They did insist on 51% and I took it. Wow. I didn't know that history. That's amazing. And then it, you were there 13 years creating Laura Mercier. And did you sell it after that? And so I was there 13 years. I, I didn't build a company to sell it. I built it to run it. But Neiman's sold Neiman's. They sold Neiman's is owned, uh, was owned by the Smith family. They owned Neiman's and Bergdorf. And in 2006, they sold it to private equity. Neiman's owned Laura Mercier, 51% of Laura Mercier, 56% of Kate Spade. And we were both just called in a room at Bergdorf's and said we were going to have to sell. Neither of us wanted to sell at that time, but we did have to sell. Um, so I sold Laura Mercier. Amway, oddly enough, was the highest bidder. They then sold it years later to Shiseido. Wow, what a history. Incredible. And I remember Laura Mercier. I guess I was, I think I was a beauty editor at Glamour and you had this incredible under eye product that nobody had. And I remember thinking, I'm gonna quit my job and just sell this stuff door to door. People, <laughs> people have to know about it. It was such an amazing product. I'd never heard of Laura. And I remember when that came out of the gate, it was like, wow, where is this stuff coming from? That's so interesting. Uh, thank you. Well, we she was a very talented makeup artist. She was the makeup artist for Sarah Jessica Parker, Julia Roberts and Madonna, which helped us get press. Internet. And then you went from there to was that it looks like you've got a little bit of time in between a year, maybe, or Castanea partners? So, interestingly enough, my, all of mine tie together the Smith family who owned Neiman's, who were my partners at Laura Mercier. Then they started a private equity fund called Castanea. And I they asked me, would I come? And then I was 55 
And I actually had sold my company, was in a very nice situation and thought I won't work again. So I rented a villa in Tuscany and I stayed there for about four months. And and then I realized, and I quote from the uh, song in Hamilton, I wanted to be in the room where it happened. I really missed being in the room. So I joined Castanea as an operating partner and we bought four beauty brands together over um, 10 years. And those were with Urban Decay, people might know that was one of them. Hey, Tatcha, Dry Bar, and, oh, Dry First, Bar. and First Aid Beauty, yes. And then I, on my own, I did Dollar Shave Club. So I, I did five brands. Oh my goodness, incredible. Okay, and you decided you just could sit around and not be part of the game. Yes, I wanted to be in, this way I was in both beauty and finance. Uh, I wasn't running something because when I ran La Mercier, 450 employees, 27 countries, I didn't want that again. But on the other hand, I wanted to keep learning and I wanted to be in the game. Do you consider yourself a lifelong learner? You have to be. I mean, everything is changed so much. Either it's not a little lipsticks changed, but how you sell it and where you sell it has changed. Um, and so, yes, I love, I love learning and I've, I've learned from every entrepreneur that we've invested in. What's your biggest lesson that you learned over time? Was there any big giant thing that you carry from place to place to place that well, I, kind of, that you, you know, use? Well, I take a lot of things, but I really think you have to have a strategy. Um, when people come to me, like people come to you and say they, they have an idea. I say write a one-page business plan. Just do it. Um, I think I got this from McKinsey, but just write what do you want to do? And I did that for myself, even though I didn't raise money. I put at the top, I want to create a beauty brand um, color-based around a very talented female makeup artist. You know, what's your elevator pit? What do you want to do? And then below that, you write what do you have to do to do that? and then put dates on there. Um, I need to find the makeup artist, first of all. <laughs> so um, how was I gonna do that? I was gonna talk to the beauty editors, get a list, go to New York, meet them. you know. And I gave myself deadlines and not that you definitely make it, but I tried to say by April 30, I'm gonna do that. You know, So you can follow up on yourself. I love the one page plan because I think everybody's so overwhelmed when they say, I want a pitch deck, I want a full, you know, business plan and everybody's just making up the numbers anyway. Right. That's, that's so true. That's, that's so true. And, and so when you put it on paper, first of all, you make it real for yourself and it forces you to clarify, what do you want to do? And then how will you do it? And on what timeline? And if you need money in addition, uh, how will you raise it? Love it. So let's talk about now you're into board of directors and you're, you're, so you're in the background now. You're not actually hands-on. Am I correct? Well, I am on the board. What, what I am, we're an investor. So when I invested, say with Castanea, I personally invested Leslie as well as they invested. Um, and I am a strategic, I mean, I, like a dry bar, they didn't have any products. They just had salons when we, when we invested in 2012. 
And I helped Allie. I mean, we literally went to the lab and created dry bar product, the hair brand. Oh my um, God. I love dry bar products. You're kidding. I, I didn't yeah. know that. Oh yeah. my God. I still yeah. use them. Amazing. Oh. <laughs> Good. Well, Allie Webb, it was, I mean, she's the founder, but she didn't know how to go, you know, put that together, obviously. And, and she talks about this too, but she knew what she wanted. So we went to the labs together. So on that one, I was very active on some of them, not as active, but I'm, I mean, I'm a, certainly very involved because I'm an investor as well as on the board and, and my, my partners usually own the brand. So, yeah. That's great. So you don't have to do the day by day slog, but you can get involved and still have fun with it in the way that you like. Is that right? And still be creative. That's exactly right. Because when I, when I left, uh, you know, after I sold Laura Mercier, I did think originally I just wanted to be on public boards and actually, I got one experience, and it was to be on the board of Lazy Boy, which is an, an odd one with my background. But that's I'm, totally hilarious. Lazy Boy? I can't I, see you in Lazy Boy. I'm not I, seeing it. <laughs> well, that's funny. But one time, Leonard Lauder and I had lunch, and he said, why are you on the board of Lazy Boy? And I said, because they asked me. And it's hard to get on public boards. And so I did, they they wanted someone that had prestige background and I had Neiman's background. So anyway, I, I was on that board and it, I thanked them every day because they taught me how to be on a public board. Um, and I really thought that's not for me because you really, it's a compensation committee, it's an audit committee, it's a nominating governance. You know, it wasn't the strategic part that I loved. So it was a great experience, but I, I knew then that I wanted to be on private equity boards where you're much more involved. Now, it's very hard. There are a lot of listeners um, for Covey who would like to be on boards and they can't make the transition, especially if they're women. Extremely difficult. Because they can't get the opportunity or they don't like it when they do They it. can't get the opportunities. They're trying to figure out where to go to get the opportunities. There are a lot of um, managerial, you know, bankers, lawyers. That's their next thing they're dying to do. Are there any pointers you want to hand out while we're at it? I did use a headhunter. I used a Houston-based headhunter, but he was part of Russell Reynolds. And he even, you know, they wanted someone with a prestige background. Lazy Boy had hired a headhunter. Many people hire headhunters. Um, so I think that's certainly one thing to do. Oh, to that's let good. I had not yeah. heard of that. Definitely. Many, many people hire headhunters. We do in private equity. I mean, I'm now at Advent, a, a very big private equity uh, group, about $67 billion under investment. Um, based in Boston, but we definitely, we have Olaplex, a hair brand, and uh, we did use a headhunter to find people with specific skills. And do they actually then look for women to broaden out the board or diversity? Is it that kind of headhunting? So that is, I have been so impressed. One of the reasons I went to Advent when Castanea didn't go forward is there was a female partner at Advent, and there are so few in private equity, even in beauty, which is so shocking to me. But uh, Trisha Glenn, my partner, not only is a female partner at Advent, but she did the Olaplex board, and she made it all women with the exception of two men that work at 
at Advent, two of her partners. And, and she also made it very diverse. We have, in fact, um, do you know Deidre Finley? She no. is, she is the CMO of Condé Nast. Oh, um, no. uh, so we were so excited. We did not have a, have a black woman. And just the fact that someone's thinking about all of this, there are so many qualified people, um, but we just, you know, you got to sit down and think this out. And we did. And it's just such a great board. And Jui Wong, who um, is the CEO, and what I love, we're going public next week, and all these women are going to benefit financially so much from this. And I really compliment Trisha Glenn, my partner, for that. That's amazing. What a great story. Awesome. Do you want to talk a little bit about Olaplex? Because that was kind of an underground thing. When you told me that you all owned Olaplex, I was like, oh my God, my favorite product in the world. And there are probably a lot of people who are listening who love that product. And if they don't, you got to go try it because it's an amazing hair repair. It really does the job. But people didn't, I, I mean, I guess maybe in the beauty business, Deep inside, people know Olaplex, all the, um, you know, the colorists and stuff like that, but the consumer doesn't know it as well. Well, you're right. It started in the professional channel and still 50% of our business is in the professional channel. And that has been the key to our success. Olaplex works and it's that simple. Um, It is science. It is. And I think that's unusual in beauty. Uh, We have. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Not marketing. It's science. And yeah. uh, Imagine that. (laughs) I I know, but that's why it can go public because we have patents and these patents really work. And um, so that has been our influencers. Our influencers have been the professional hairdressers who have been fabulous and they sell Olaplex in their salons. We are the number one brand at Sephora. There's never been a hair brand that's been even in the top, I don't know, five probably ever. Um, for hair to be, and we only have seven SKUs. We only make seven products. So it, it's just amazing. It works. And uh, I've never taken a company public. So you said, do I learn? I am learning so much about being on NASDAQ uh, next Thursday. So um, it's a great, it's great. And we'll continue to be on the board. Our board will stay. That's amazing. Now for women who are listening, who are thinking, I'm a lawyer, I'm a, I'm in the fashion business, I'm in the food business or whatever. And I'd like to make that transition, getting out of the actual hands-on and into the background um, financially. Other than going to a headhunter, I mean, is that really their best way in to being on one of these boards and getting themselves in there? If you're talking about a public boards, it, oh. it is one of the best ways. On private equity, some yeah, people, private equity. Let's- on private equity, uh, we did not hire outside people when I at Castaneda. We were smaller companies, and and we didn't do that. But at at boards the size uh, that Advent does, um, we do use headhunters. Um, big big headhunters to help us find people and specialists in in whatever e-commerce um, cybersecurity whatever it is that we were looking for and you know another thing is private equity Leslie for people that are at the top of their field um, 
you know, like if you know the food industry, for example, it's similar to what I did. I knew the beauty industry. Right. And that, and that's what I brought. I do not have an MBA where everyone around me has a Harvard or Stanford or Wharton MBA. And I asked originally, did I need to do that? And they go, no, you, you have everything we need. We all have that. We need you to know the industry. So if you're in an industry that private equity is involved in, um, you might can do what I do, which is an operating partner with one of the private equity firms, because it's been a great uh, third or fourth career for me. So you're kind of like this specialist. They know all the backroom stuff, but you know the front end of the specialty. That's right. right. You're right. I mean, I certainly understand the financials. I ran my own company. I mean, every job I've had has had a huge financial piece, right. but but that's not what they have. They have me to make sure that our sales are great and our profit is great um, and that our strategy is right. And that you're actually picking products people are interested in, right? That's right. I've got to pick the right <laughs> brand. Got to pick the right brand and the right entrepreneur. Because, you know, not a, you could have a fabulous brand, but an entrepreneur who doesn't see how to make it, how to scale it. Um, so you've got to get people that are, have the same goals as you. What do you think is the future of beauty brands and private equity going forward? Do you see it growing? Do you see it shrinking? Has it reached stasis? Where, where's your sort of eyesight going to? You know, it's huge right now. So to just, first of all, there's so, so much money available if someone has a really a white space. I mean, today I would not invest in something. Uh, it's interesting. Someone at Sephora just called me about something that seems very interesting, but it's different. And that's what I think was so great about Olaplex. It really had a point of difference. Um, so I think private equity is very into beauty. Beauty has high margins and I think the young consumer is very open to new names. So if you have a fresh approach, you have a fresh product, uh, you know, it, and it's crowded now. I have to say, when I entered with Laura Mercier, it wasn't so crowded except for the behemoths of L'Oreal, of course, Shiseido and Estee Lauder. Um, but uh, today there's so many indie brands and I do think there's still opportunity, but you really have to have a point of difference. What do you think is the future if people are listening and they're thinking about what the future beauty is going to be, beauty products, beauty investments, um, and maybe something that they're working on, it might ring a bell for them. What do you see? Is it, I mean, do we feel like we have enough um, makeup artist brands already, that's kind of feels like it's in the past. What are we moving toward? What are the trends that you see? Um, well, I, I see seriously people that have come up with a creative difference, something that is different. I, I go back to Olaplex on this. Tatcha, I'll use Tatcha as an example. She, she believed that Japan had the best skincare and she actually built her own lab there and her brand is doing brilliantly. It, if, if it had been in previous years, she would have had it at the top department stores in the world and had to sell it at a very high price. Instead, although it is expensive relative to other brands, it's the, maybe the top of Sephora, um, but it's fabulous product, all, all made in Japan with Vicky Sai, fabulous entrepreneur behind it. 
So I just, I just think I, I couldn't tell you that, you know, eyeliner is going to be the, I mean, those things will still be right, but can you do a better one? Can you make, make your brand have a reason to be? And, and a lot of brands won't make it, to be honest. Of course, a lot of brands will not make it. If you can, can talk to Sephora or Ulta and they help you, they, at Sephora, they do something called in the kitchen. If they let you in the kitchen, they will help guide you and they will help build you. Is that like their own little accelerator for people who have good ideas and beauty? They they have, yeah, they do. It is their own accelerator and they do have an accelerate program. And I'm on that board. Interesting. Is yeah. it more, are the big bucks being made by science-based breakthroughs? Is that um, what you're saying at all or no? No, because there's not enough of those. Um, but I mean, if you really have a science breakthrough and there, there's more and more of that. I am finding science and beauty really, you know, uh, mingling much more than they did because I just don't think marketing alone will do it as it did in the past. So as we pull into the end of our talk here, Janet, you've given us a lot of good pointers. But is there anything overall, we're talking to women like you and me, they're trying to figure out what's next. They might be facing, you know, just they've done their career, what it is, or they might be facing ageism. They might be thinking they want a different type of lifestyle. Can you give us two or three other pointers about how to do what you did, how to make those kind of transitions? And I think a lot of it is courage. You seem to be very courageous. I'm sure behind the scenes, you weren't as courageous as you sound right now. You sound like, ah, but I know everybody struggles and um, it's not as easy as it seems. But, but how would you put that out there to women who are thinking about transitioning? Well, it, this sounds so probably redundant, but you must believe in yourself because I just think people are going to always doubt you. Um, they doubted me when I would say I'm going to leave my shishi job at Neiman Marcus to start a cosmetics company in Houston. People said, is there a shortage of mascara? I mean, and that's in 1995, you know, what are you doing? So you have to really, one, have a real idea and have a strategy and then surround yourself with the right team. I could not have built this without Laura Mercier and I couldn't have built this without Sharon Collier, my head of sales, who came from the beauty industry, which I did not. So, I mean, you've got to know what you don't know and surround yourself with the right people, but you've got to believe in what you're saying you're going to do on that piece of paper that you're going to build a cosmetics company around a great makeup artist. So I think secondly, network. You, you're talking about women that already have networks use that network. I know you and I met at Bergdorf's for lunch when you were thinking what you were doing. Um, you need to use your network talk to the people who can really help you. Thank you. Um, and then I, thirdly, I say, pay attention to what's happening in your business sphere. I just happened to notice that Bobby Brown was this unique, very unique at the time person that had come up with a brand that resonated to me. She just said, I can't make you look like the cover of Vogue, but I can make you look the best you can look. And that she sold me. And I just thought there was room uh, that there really was an inflection point. And I was right. If anything, I was early, a little early. Um, but, um, she, you know, I was just paying attention. 
that that was happening. And you need to pay attention in your world where you're already very knowledgeable. But thank you so much. Those are great tips. I so appreciate it. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Leslie. So thank you all for listening to this podcast. And I hope that it gave you some ideas, both inspiration and tactical ideas on how to attack your reinvention. If you are a reinventor, I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast. Give us a comment, leave us some stars. That that would be great. Share it with a friend who's trying to reinvent. And as I say to everybody, don't wait until the day you're forced out of your job or you're in crisis to reinvent. You should be planning two years in advance at least. And that's what we made Cubby Club for is so that you could start planning ahead of time. We all know transition is coming. We all know change is coming don't be caught short. Go over to cubbyclub.com, read all of our content, join the club, be part of this great group of women who will hold the space for you while you figure out what you want to do next. No one is born knowing the transitions in their lives. They have to find them. And we can't tell you what you're going to do next, but we can sure as heck help you find that direction. And that's what we're really great at at Covey Club. So I hope you'll join us, wander on over to CoveyClub.com and see what we can teach you. And I'm telling you, it works. We have a lot of alumni who've come through us already and graduated onto their next thing. And I'm very, very proud that it works. See you there.